before we get into today's episode, just letting you guys know that today's episode is the penultimate episode of season two of the What The Footy podcast. Guys, currently 16-14 up in What The Footy line for versus the guest. So make sure you download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend tell a friend let's go what the footy what the footy what the footy what the footy knew some other guys liked me but i didn't know it was to that Imagine extent being a kid in primary school now nice it's <laughs> awesome. powerful people and i think they need to recognize that but then also they need to be represented the right way sport in general is nothing without fans uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone that being the tv let's just win this to appease the fan Welcome to the What The Footy podcast, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Today I'm joined by a very, very special guest from training with David Beckham to signing for Spurs, Rihanna Subadu. Welcome to the What The Footy podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Now, awesome. So obviously a segment of the podcast that we have is What The Footy Are You Lying For? So uh, take me away with your uh, two truths, one lie, please. Right, okay, so first one, I've been sent off four times in my football career. Second one, (laughs) second one is, um, despite playing for Spurs, I am a massive Arsenal fan. And third one is, while I was playing for Spurs, I I played three games for Spurs, including our playoff final, where we got promoted to the Super League whilst I was pregnant carrying my daughter. Okay, playoff, final, while pregnant carrying your daughter. Yeah, play- um, playoff final playoff final plus three games on top of that as well. And three games. That's a lot of detail. Oh. <laughs> um, so... Arsenal fan, I believe, is true because I have seen your Twitter before coming on here. Um, oh, you cheated! You cheated! <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the Arsenal fan one is correct. I know, I know that's correct. It's now just a question of sent off four times, play playoff final. Um, that was a couple because and that playoff final was a couple of years ago. It's just the added detail that's throwing me off. Like plus the extra three games. You're a midfielder, I believe. Am I correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you someone who's going to be crunching into tackles four times, being sent off? Oh, playoff final while pregnant. Why would you mention it? Sent off four times. My gut's telling me the playoff final one is correct. But we'll find that towards the end. We'll find okay. That the, we'll, <laughs> okay. We'll find, that, we'll find that towards the end. Yeah, because obviously I thought it'd be great to get you on the podcast because women's football is at a very, very exciting time now. Um, just sort of just take me back to the early days of, of getting into football, like who was your first sort of uh, role model and, and influence? Um, I'd say my dad, to be honest, because um, 
you know, my dad was always very into football. He, um, growing up, he played and he still is heavily involved. He manages a side now. Um, so I was always growing up around it with my dad and uh, my uncles, my, my granddad as well. Um, and I guess it, it stemmed from me going to watch my dad when I was younger. Mm. Um, I was probably like, I don't know, seven, eight. Um, and then just sort of took an interest from there, really. Um, and I think when my dad realised that I was actually interested in football and I showed some sort of um, interest in wanting to play, um, he took me down to just like a local um, training thing, which was every Tuesday. But it was when back then it was like there was no real like girls teams around. So mm. I remember going to train on a Tuesday evening um, at a secondary school local to where we live. And I was the only girl there. It was all boys um, because, you know, it's not like now where there's a lot of local girls teams around. It wasn't like that um, when I was growing up. Um, so yeah, I'd say from from then is really when um, I showed a real interest in football, and then yeah, it just took off from there really. Um, and with my and my family's support, I've been able to have a lot of amazing opportunities from there. No, that's awesome, and and just sort of in terms of the sort of points you mentioned there about being the only only girl when you're going to those sessions, did that almost add a bit more pressure to you, almost shape you as a player in terms of that sort of belief of, of what people would say about you in terms of being the only girl in that environment? or um, I think I was so young at the time. So I think yeah. I was probably about like, I don't know, eight or nine when I first started and I was going to those sessions. So although I probably did realise that I was the only girl there at the time, um, it wasn't like playing on my conscience really. Mm. Um, I just wanted to go and play football because I really enjoyed it. It was probably other people that were making me aware that, oh, you're the only girl, blah, blah, blah. You know, mm. um, I don't think that came from me initially. Um, and it wasn't really until the coach who used to lead the sessions at the time then spoke to my dad and was like, you know what, she's actually really good, uh, better than most boys here. <laughs> yeah. Here's a contact for a girls' team go and get her down to the trials and that girls team happened to be Arsenal so my first ever trials for any sort of girls team was was at Arsenal 1 to 10 so yeah that's where it started and and just sort of just talk me through like obviously as you were navigating through obviously going to Arsenal as well the sort of diversity angle because one of my contacts out in the states he, he runs a business in terms of supporting um, players from an ethnic background, obviously getting into football, whether that's the women's game. Uh, one of their players, Sandy, uh, was just was just recently at Tottenham as well. How was that also for you as well in terms of, of dealing with that as well? Uh, I do remember growing up, um, you know, when I was at Arsenal, I was the only Asian girl, I think, in mm. the whole, from under 10s to under 16s. Um, and even when we used to play against teams, I do remember, I think, being one of, if the only Asian girl in, in the league. Mm. Um, and, you know, that didn't really, like, it, it didn't bother me. Um, if anything, it kind of just spurred me on and motivated me, um, you know, to want to do better for myself and for, you know, the community, the Asian community, and trying to get more Asian girls involved. And I think... When I was playing, um, you know, through Arsenal and the Centre of Excellence, it was very uncommon um, for Asian girls to be playing football. Mm. Um, but now you do see a lot more diversity within girls. And I think that comes from the schools as well now, promoting women's football and girls' football clubs and stuff. But again, I didn't have that. There was no girls' football team at my school. 
Um, yeah. If I wanted to play, I had to play with the boys. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, growing up, there wasn't a lot of diversity and I, I was noticeably the only Asian girl around at that time. So I was actually quite well known. Um, you know, when teams used to play me, they used to just know me as like, oh, the Asian girl. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's how it was for me. No, but it's. I think it's really good how you're obviously a fan. Obviously, I, I know Rav, your dad as well. Good coach as well. Blue Marlins, big up Blue Marlins. <laughs> did um, I pay you to say that? No, nah, no, nah, he didn't. He didn't know. <laughs> um, but I think it's really good how they were supported behind you. I was listening to Marta, obviously the Brazilian like female legend, won um, so many world world players of the years, and she was saying how obviously growing up in Brazil and playing there, the stigma behind obviously her playing playing football, family members not approving and stuff like that. So it's good that that, that your family's obviously there to support you. But just just sort of talk me through. Obviously, I know that you went on to obviously go to David Beckham's academy as well. Just just sort of talk me through that process of, of eventually. Apparently, you trained with him and did some sort of stuff out there with him as well. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. So um, yeah, that that all come about. I think um, I don't know if you remember, but um, I don't even know what year it was. But David Beckham opened up an academy in Greenwich. Mm, yeah, I've been uh, there before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Academy. Yeah. Um, and at the time when that opened, I was playing for Leighton Orient, um, and so. My team got invited. There was a few teams like in the local area. Uh, we got invited to go and basically be the first ones to like go out and test the the academy mm. and stuff. And there must have been about I think two two hundred and fifty uh, kids there. And it was over. It was during half term, so it was over like a two or three day um, period that we got to go there. Um, and I remember going in and I was like, wow, because David Beckham grown up was one of my idols anyway so to you know actually be in his academy and I remember we got kitted out boots everything you can imagine um and they said that um during this two or three day um it was like a competition so you know we got put into teams Mm. and stuff and they'd be like watching and you know the players that stood out would go on to win this like this prize and they didn't say nothing else it was just very vague um, you know, so they were like, try your best and, you know, see what, like, show us what you can do, basically. Mm. And, you know, I didn't think nothing of it. I just went there and played. S- scored and a few goals. Having, like, most... yeah, 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 did, did a few things. Few, you know, few flicks and tricks, yeah. Um, yeah, just remember having an amazing time and going back and thinking, wow, that was like a really amazing experience to mm. have been one of the first to, to go there. And then just sort of forgot all about it, really. Um, and then it wasn't until, like, maybe a few like three four five months later um we get a phone call from um someone from the david beckham academy saying that Mm. um i was one of the the kids that have been chosen um to basically do this photo shoot with david beckham uh, back at the academy and he would be there He, he was actually um he was writing a book um it was like a skills book um it was called making it real and it was actually just as he he just moved to real madrid as well so he was mm. coming back to London to shoot this this um, book and he needed pictures and stuff in his academy. And uh, me and four other kids had been chosen to, to do it. And I wow. think I was about 14 um, at this point. Mm. And I just, like, I was like, I think I just got home from school when, when we got the call. And I remember, and I was just like screaming the house down. Called, my mum was at home, called my dad. Um, and yeah, and it was just like the most amazing experience. My mum, dad and my sister all got to come. Um, and then we was all just training in in the dome in the academy. And then I just remember David Beckham walking through the door, and wow. it was the most surreal. I think I froze. It was like the most surreal experience. It's like you've just seen a ghost, because it's like 
David Beckham, like probably the most famous man in the world, um, and like one of my idols, and he just walked through the door. He's like standing like ten feet away from me, That's bonkers, and then I think yeah. he came and like said hello and shook my hand, and I don't even think anything even come out my mouth. I think I just froze because it was just so surreal. And then literally we we were training with him like all day, doing all drills and stuff with him, and yeah, it was amazing. Um, and then from that, um, I then got another call a few, I think a few months later, or maybe weeks, I can't remember now, um, mm. saying that. They wanted to fly me out to Madrid to do a bit more filming with him. Wow. So I've, I've got to do these two amazing, um, you know, ex- I've had two amazing experiences now, um, filming a shoot with David Beckham, and my dad was well happy because he got to come to Madrid with me. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, and then, you know, we got taken on a, a tour around the Bernabeu and all this, all this stuff. And, yeah, those, those experiences are um, two things I'll never forget. Um, and I've just been lucky enough to experience through through football. So yeah, that was just incredible. No, you're so lucky because when I went to David Beckham Academy, they were just about to close it. So I think I was the last yeah. group to ever go there. So rather than getting to meet David Beckham like he did, all we got was him <laughs> on the video screen. Um, so yeah. I'm a li- I'm a little bit annoyed hearing that story, but um, <laughs> but yeah, just just talk me through. Obviously, I heard that also you went to go and play out in the states as well. Was that before you went on to go and play for Spurs, or, or how did that sort of work out? So actually, um, I previously played for Spurs while well, I was playing for Leighton Orient. Yeah. I played for Orient on a Saturday, and I was also I was, I was dual signed. So then I'd play for Spurs on a Sunday. This was when I was about 14, 15. Yeah. Um, so then, and then from, and then it just got too much, to be honest. So like playing Saturday and Sundays. So then I left Spurs and I just carried on playing for Latin Orient. Yeah. Um, and then, and then yeah, so when I was 18, I, I went out to, um, to Texas, Austin, Texas. Um, I got a football scholarship out there. Um, it was, I wouldn't say it's something I always dreamed of doing, but as I got older and I, I'd heard other people's experiences, obviously I watched the film Bend It Like Beckham, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and everyone's like, oh, you, your story is like Bend It Like Beckham, blah, blah, blah. I get that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I was just like, you know what, this, this just sounds like really cool, like something that, you know, the opportunities that you get out there um, in America compared to here well maybe not so much now but you know a few a few yeah. years ago um i'm like why why not so um yeah i i went to a few like trials there's um you go to like these scout days where there's all coaches from america there and you play this game and if they like you they'll um, contact you basically so i remember getting uh, a few offers um and then i sat with my my family and we went through them and they were like are you sure this is what you want to do and i'm like yeah yeah i'm yeah. sure um and yeah and then I was 18, I went out to America for four years and hand on heart, honestly, it was the best thing I've ever done. Mm. It was just incredible. Obviously, I missed home and I missed my family, but those four years just flew by anyway. And I got the opportunity to go to university and play football and travel all around America and, you know, with my team. And it is a bit like what you see on TV yeah, um, yeah. in terms of, you know, how you see it. Um, and yeah. I'm so glad I decided to do that. Um, what was your experience? Was home, what was your experience there? Because obviously, in terms of if, if we look at the women's game and obviously the way the US USA team just dominates it there, having gone there, can you almost understand why they're just on a different planet to to everyone 100%. else? I, when I first got there, I was like, oh my god, it it was so intense, mm. um, and 
I think the difference is um, sport out in America is taken so seriously from such a young age, from high school. You know, you've got all these high school teams and you've got like, it's just taken so seriously. And even like into university, they call it college out there. Mm. Um, I think here, like, you know, you can play for your your university team here, but it's more of like a social thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you... I mean, I did a year at Brunel here, so I, I could compare the difference. Mm. Um, out there, it's like you have to get recruited or scouted to be on this college team. It's not just there for, like, you know, a joke and a laugh. Um, and then from university out there, if you're good enough, then you get put into a draft, which then is like a direct pathway into the professional yeah, teams. Yeah. And that's through, like, football, baseball, NFL, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see because it is so... Um, yeah, it's just so it's so intense, but it's the way it is so professional. I couldn't believe in a university setting how, how professional it was. Mm. It I felt like I was, and even on campus, you're like a celebrity on campus. Yeah. Like everyone knows you because all these people you've never met are coming and watching your games, and then like you're sitting in like your maths class, and people were like, "Oh my know, god, it's you!" Yeah, yeah, like yeah. This star. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm just like a normal person yeah um yeah it's crazy and then like you know even the bigger universities they're like sell you're like an 18 year old kid and they're selling your your tops in like the local walmart and stuff it's It's just mad it's crazy um and yeah i'm just i feel really lucky to have experienced something like that um and it would have been nice to stay you know and try and maybe make it out there but uh, I wanted to come back home as well because I saw the game developing here. Mm. Um, obviously, I miss my family and stuff as well. Um, yeah, so I came back here and then that's when I, I signed for Spurs as soon as I got back from, from America. And what, what was the transition like, obviously, coming over from, from, from the States? Do you feel as though it almost improved as a player as you're going into the Tottenham setup? Yeah, I think in America, um, the game, it, I think technically it did it improved me a lot. Mm. I think here the game's a lot more physical, and but I think out there it played, especially at the college level, it's played at a, a really fast pace. Yeah. Um, and like we're we were literally training every single day. Um, so you know when you're training every day, you you have to improve. Um, mm. so definitely. And then I honestly I feel when I came back from the states, I just I was so burnt out. Um. I thought I was going to take a break from football. Um, I was just, I've just needed some time to just let my body rest and, you know, figure out what I'm going to do because I've just moved back after four years. Um, but then, honestly, I just, I missed it so much after like a month, and then all my friends around me were all playing, and I missed that like game day feeling, and you know, all of that. So um, yeah. yeah, and then one of my um, man- one of the managers at Spurs, Karen Hills, who's the first team manager mm. now. Um, she before I left for America, I played for for Barnet, like London Bees. Now, uh, she was the assistant manager there at the time. Um, so when she heard I was back from the states, she she messaged me and was like, uh, "Why don't you come down to training?" And I was like, "No, nah, I'm not sure if I want to play yet." She's yeah. like, "Just come down and and see how you feel." Yeah, I went down to Spurs training. Um, this is when we were still playing um, a few a few leagues below where they yeah. are now. Mm. And yeah, as soon as I got back into it, I was like, yeah, I really miss it. And then, yeah, I was at Spurs for four years. And what was it almost like being there as well in terms of obviously, obviously now we're seeing quite a lot more professional teams setting up women's team. Like we're seeing Real Madrid set one up as well. Obviously Spurs have had one for quite a while as well. How did it almost integrate with the men's team and and uh, and, and stuff like that really? Uh, when I first joined Spurs, when I went back, 
there was really no link between the women's and men's team. Mm. Um, where they are now to where we started, it is like night and day, completely different. Mm. Um, there were some days, you know, we were training on the side of a side of a pitch. We didn't even even have any lights when we were training. You know, yeah. we were struggling to field eleven players. On a Sounds Sunday. like Rav's like Rav's um, sessions, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> now um but you know that's all come from hard work and credit to all of the players and the staff because you know there was no money pumped into our team or nothing we literally did it through pure hard work and Mm. graft and and talent got ourselves up through the leagues uh, uh, to you know they're playing in tier one of women's football now yeah nice so yeah that's that's how it happened really no, and it's it's really good to see how the game's progressing. Like, I think um started the year as well, I think, at the new stadium, Arsenal and Tottenham had the derby there as well. And obviously, we won that, of course. Obviously, I'm an Arsenal fan. And um, <laughs> it's it's almost like, in terms of seeing where Spurs are now to, to where you were with them, what's, what's your thoughts on how the club has really progressed? It's amazing. And honestly, I think um, out of all of the teams that are now in Super League One, mm. um, Spurs are the only team that have, I, I can say have got there through through merit, pure merit and, and hard work. You know, we've had to work our way up through three leagues in order to be where we are. Like I said, when we first got there, when I first joined, um, we we were fin- we were a mid-table team in our league. We mm. were finishing, you know, fifth, sixth um and then I don't know what it was. Something just something just switched, um, and I don't know if it was our, our mentality, our belief, you know, the hard work the coaches put in, and yeah. all of a sudden we we just really believed in ourselves, and um, yeah, and and they've managed to just do so amazing um, and get to where they are now. Um, and like you said, you know, now we're getting opportunities. I think my my last season at Spurs when we did win the league to get promoted, we were the last team to play at White Hart Lane mm. um, before the stadium, um, you know, got, um, got knocked down yeah, yeah. It is now. But um, yeah, so we were lucky enough to have the opportunity to play at White Hart Lane. Uh, that same season, we got to play at Upton Park for the last game at Upton Park as well when we played West Ham. Um, so, you know, we have had some amazing experiences but now you know the girls are just going on to even bigger things getting to play at the, the brand new stadium I think they've played at Stamford Bridge this season um, and you know even other teams like Liverpool played at Anfield Liverpool women's team um, and I think that <clears throat> City played at the Etihad as yeah, well this season this so season, yeah. yeah it just goes to show the direction that women's football is going in and the opportunities that are now they're now getting and a lot more of the women's teams now I know Spurs are as well uh, have a direct link to the men's team um which is how it should be, in my opinion. Mm. You know, they they deserve it. The the game is really quickly progressing and getting bigger. So why not give them the opportunity that they deserve? No, definitely. And what's your hopes for the future of the women's game? Because I think one of one of the key things has come. I think especially because of COVID as well. Um, you almost seem, and I hope it doesn't really turn out to be like this. The almost like the death of the grassroots game, and how people are picking up new sports, getting into new sports as well. And I think one of the key things as well that you mentioned, I think, which is why the States is obviously prominently known for, for its sports is because of the level of facilities there. What's needed here to almost take the women's game to the next level? Because it's almost like for a while now, it's been a thing where it's only when the World Cup is on that we're really seeing women's football really coming yeah. coming to the fore. Whereas if you really look at it, there's some top quality players like Lucy Bronze, uh, Medema at yeah. Arsenal. Like, what's needed to take take the game to the next level? Yeah, I think you're right, hundred um, percent. 
I think you touched on grassroots. I think here, mm. I think it is being taken more seriously now, um, especially for for the girls. But like I said, facility wise, even some, you know, it might sound a bit silly, but things like in terms of kit for the girls' teams or women's teams, it's yeah. like I'm still seeing women's teams in the lower lower tiers wearing men's kits and it's like that shouldn't be happening in this day and age if, mm. if we want to be taking this sport seriously clubs need to be you know making sure that their their team because it's also about brand as well if you want to be taken seriously you've got to, you've got to look the part too yeah so um yeah i think definitely grassroots and also i think from schools i think schools could be doing well, i don't want to be controversial here but you know no, go like, on go on be, be controversial more. yeah yeah we want it we want it especially especially for for um you know the girls' sports. Um, you know, introducing girls' teams in in competitive leagues. Mm. Um, you know, in school leagues, because I'm sure that you know my my secondary school that I went to still don't have a competitive girls' school. And I've actually done girls' sessions at the school. They've asked me to come in, and it, there's so much interest there with girls wanting to play football. But I just don't think that anyone's willing to take on that responsibility to actually do it. Um, so I think that yeah, from from grassroots level in schools and even universities here, I think here the the university culture is very different to in America. Um, so if they want to see and try and compete with the Americans in that sense, then um, I think the mentality of sport uh, in universities here in the UK needs to be different and taken more seriously. Mm. No, definitely. Um, no, because, definitely. Yeah. yeah like I said, in America, once you finish college, university, then you get put into a draft, which is like a direct pathway into professional sports. Here, it's sort of like you've got to do it yourself or get an agent or get scouted. It's it's a lot more difficult to find or get them opportunities. And I feel like here as well, it's like if, you have, if you're not in a team, if you've not made it by a certain age, then it's very difficult if you're, say, like 20, 21, 22, to actually break into a team. Mm. At, at the higher levels yeah no and, and I think they're like they've now got all like WSL got all their academies and stuff so a lot of them girls from 16 years old are now being fed through no definitely and, and I think one of the points you mentioned there I think that links into what I was going to ask next was in terms of sort of financial support and this whole thing that we're seeing now with equal pay as well I think I saw a crazy stat where out of all the women's players that are playing only 60% identify themselves as actual professional um, footballers and actually see it as their professional job. What what's your thoughts on on the whole sort of equal pay argument and and how how the sport can obviously can ultimately be taken as a as a as a serious profession for for mm-hmm. women. I think um, when women footballers, for example, mm. are saying like we want our sport to be taken more seriously. I don't think we're shouting equal pay, like pay us £100,000 a week like the men. Mm. Um, you know, because we know and understand that the men's game generates far more money, far more advertisement, sponsorship, promotion put into it. But I don't think that's what we're saying. It is good now that, you know, there is the money in the women's game, at least in, in the Super League, uh, where, you know, they are the players are able to earn a living off of off a bit. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to... We're still a long way off, um, you know, getting anywhere close to equal pay to the men. Mm. And like I said, um, the men get far more opportunity in terms of, you know, TV deals and stuff where that money is is pumped in. But I think 
for now it's just about getting more people um involved in the women's game um you know it's good now that a lot of the Super League games are shown on BT Sport. Um, they're showing the Cup game, FA Cup on, on the BBC as well. So yeah. I think once, because you, like you said, it was only really usually like the World Cup games that would get shown um, and what that's every four years. Mm. Um, but at least now the, the women's game is getting a lot more coverage. Um, and, you know, people aren't going to like it. But, you know, that's that's it's not doing anything to them. That's their problem. Yeah. And I think the more people that, that are interacting with the women's game and you know just just giving us a chance we're not saying we want equal pay and want to get paid what the men get paid we just want our sport to be recognized and to be taken seriously because you know we we women have it women in football have it a lot harder because um you know we don't get the same opportunities that that the men do so we've had to really work hard to even take the sport to where it is now um and you know i think it's it's only going to grow and get bigger and bigger um but yeah i just think that people need to just have a bit more of an open mind towards it yeah um and because like if you've watched the game in in you know the higher the higher leagues that you know the quality is there yeah that was, right, it, was, it was a really good game like yeah, yesterday as well to be fair really good game yeah yeah it's not it's not as quick as the men's game and you know it's not as, as physical as a men's game, but in terms of technical ability, there are some really top players playing mm. um, in the women's leagues here and, and abroad. So, um, but I think some um, some people don't want to like believe it. Yeah. Yeah, and do you know, is I think even because because we see a lot of it with the social media trolling. Like I look at someone like. Alex Scott, who recently um, recently obviously I think got made an official pundit with Sky Sports, and this sort of criticism that she's got coming her way but when you really look at it and, and, and call it for what it is Alex Scott's one of the best prepared and best research pundits within the game and I think I think for me really really and truly I think I think people are slowly starting to understand that hang on a minute they're good players within the women's league I think what's just needed now and what's what we're sort of seeing but it's been really slow I mean, people who I've spoke with before is is more brands coming in and actually throwing some serious money behind the game because I think the the last World Cup was was a really big huge hit. I think it was sad that the the Super League got cut short, um, especially in a time where people were crying and for for football during 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 COVID. I think that could have been a real watershed moment for the game. But I think I think people are understanding slowly that 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 the game is improving, and I think. A lot of people have done a, done a great bit for the game. People like Megan Rapinoe, people like Alex Morgan, increasing the profile of the game as well. So, yeah, hopefully we can see where things go. Really, yeah, definitely. And you know, you mentioned Alex Morgan. That's a massive statement. The fact that she's come over to play in the Super League, um, you know, joined Spurs on loan. That mm. just shows the direction that you know the league and women's women's country is going. Because Alex Morgan alone is like. A superstar. I think she's got more Twitter followers than the Spurs men club alone. You yeah. know, so it shows um, you know, how, how big of a star she is. And there's other quality US players and from, you know, internationally that have come over this season. So I think, you know, it just it does show the ambition um of clubs here and the direction that, that the Super League is going. No, definitely, but it's now come to that time to reveal your answers to uh so what the foot are you lying for? Oh, let's go. Let's go. Go on, hit hit me hit me with the answers. 
have I messed it up? Have I messed right. it up? So you said you've already looked at my Twitter profile, which don't know if that was allowed, but no, yeah, allowed, yeah, I am a big Arsenal fan, <laughs> even though I I did I played for Spurs. Um, the other one that was true was the fact that I have played. I did play pregnant. Um, yes. Yeah. For for four games. Um, I didn't actually know I was pregnant, so I didn't do that on purpose. But yeah. yeah. Um. And then, yeah, I have never been sent off in my life, actually. So Yeah, professional, professional <laughs> sentiment. Yeah, exactly. It's something I'm very proud of, yeah. Nice, good. <laughs> what kind of sentiment are you? Like, are you like box to 10. box? I play attacking. Number 10, okay. I'm a 10. Decent, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. good. But um, we always like to end the episode with the what the footy question. We've sort of alluded to quite, quite a few things so far. So... What the footy needs to change or happen within your space? So in this instance, within the women's game. Yeah, like I said, I think just people's mentalities, first of all, um, being a bit more open-minded towards the women's game. Uh, like you said, I think companies need to come on board and put a bit of money into it. You know, it's great that Barclays have sponsored the Super League. You know, it's a massive yeah. company. I think that was a big statement. Um, and yeah, I think just a bit more... Um, TV coverage and people, you know, actually taking the time and giving it a chance um, to to actually watch the game because, like I said, they'll probably be surprised with how good actually some of some of the teams actually are. So, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, I think there's been massive changes already um, in the few year, like few years that I I've um, been away from football and then come back and seen. Wow, this has actually grown so much, um, and I wouldn't have expected it to, to, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think there's still a long way to go. But it's great to see so many young girls from such a young age now being inspired by these superstars, um, you know, and having people to sort of female footballers to idolise. That's something I didn't have. Mm. My idols were all male footballers growing up. Now it's so great, you know, when my daughter she's two and a half, when she grows up, she's going to have female role, role models now to look up to and to, to aspire to. So I think that is something that's really important and, and positive that's that's actually come out of this. No, that's awesome. But yes, Rihanna, Subadu, thank you for coming to What The Footy Podcast, from training with David Beckham to signing for Spurs. What a player, what a superstar. Absolute pleasure. Guys, if you loved today's episode, not liked it, if you loved it, Download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. No, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Cheers. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting off. Powerful people and I think they need to recognise that, but then also... They need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So we're in the league. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Oh, now they need to see my birth certificate. Hmm. Honey, where do we keep the birth certificates? Why? Buying socks. Socks. I'll check upstairs. It's easy to be unsafe online. You're the best. Now it's easy to help protect yourself. Norton 360 with LifeLock gives you device security, a VPN for online privacy, and identity theft protection. All in one. Opt in to cyber safety. Save 25% or more off your first year at norton.com news.
Switching to Geico is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, Geico makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, Geico has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to Geico. It's obviously a good idea.